Welcome to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches and a production of the 224 Ecospace, where changemakers work, create, and lead. Today we are fortunate to have with us Reverend G. Wesley Delavan, the pastor of Parker Amy Zine Church of Meriden, Connecticut, a historic church with a big heart. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Bess. Glad to have you here. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your childhood was like as your formation of faith. Well, I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and um, my childhood formation, I grew up in the church. My mother was a usher, and she was a, served on the missionary WHNOM Society. Grandmother was a deaconess, grandfather, steward. Wow. Father, the janitor of the church, usher, and a steward. So I had no choice, but I was a church kid. Um, I loved going to church and loved just being there. And I was fortunate and blessed to have positive black male role models that really poured into my life. And so talk about your childhood in the church. When did you start preaching for ministry? I began my um, preaching ministry at the age of six years old. Wow. The chairman of the trustee board of Walters Memorial Amy Zion Church in Bridgeport, where that's my foundational and home church, um, the late Oscar Sneed, who was the chairman, and my father were very close. And my father had told Mr. Sneed that I used to go home and try to redo the service and re-preach um, Reverend Howard's sermons. And so in a trustee board meeting, Mr. Sneed had brought up to Reverend Howard that there's a young man that really um, has something unique about him and he goes home and tries to re-preach your sermons. And so Reverend Howard called my parents and met with them and he saw something wow. in me and he asked them if I would be able to do the youth lay sermonettes on the third Sunday and my parents of course said yes and I was six years old at that time and to this day um, my parents nor Reverend Howard looked over my sermonettes and I had a little adventure Bible and I would, the Lord would give me a topic and a scripture and I would do a five to seven minute sermonette and it got to the point where Reverend Howard said there's really no need for me to preach on Sunday. So as I got older, I was the um, preacher for Youth Sunday. So talk about your time as a six-year-old preparing sermons. How did you go about it? I would first begin to pray and ask God to direct me. Um, and then I would get my adventure Bible and I would go through it and find the scripture. Um, sometimes the topic would come first and the scripture or vice versa. And then I would jot down notes and whatnot. And at that time there wasn't really computers. So I would handwrite it and then rewrite it, um, fix the grammar and spelling, and 
And that would be it. So how did it change your childhood or influence your childhood, I say, because it's the only childhood that you know, that you were a child of such faith? I became a child of such faith because I have sickle cell anemia. And um, sickle cell caused me to be in the hospital more than I was out of the hospital. I practically lived in the hospital. Um, Bridgeport Hospital Pediatric Ward at one point was going to give me my own room wow. because I was there. Sometime I'd be there for a month um, at a time. There was one time that I was there for two months, um, the whole two months. And it was then that my faith began to get deeper, even at an early age. Um, the doctors even called me unique because they couldn't understand how I would be in so much pain but yet still have a smile. And Reverend Howard would come and visit me and members would come and they would always remark that they came to encourage me but by the time that they left, they were encouraged. And so for you as a child going through the struggles with sickle cell, talk about how your health issues did inform your faith growth. Well, um, as of today, I actually was declared dead three times. Um, I had three grand mal seizures in my adolescent years. Um, I came home from church one Sunday. My aunt, who used to take me to church before I started driving, she dropped me off. And my father, of course, he was the janitor of the church, so he wasn't home. I let myself in, took my medicine, and got something to eat. And that's all I remember. My mother said when she came home, she got to the top of the basement stairs and she saw my feet mm. on the floor in the kitchen. I had passed out. Um, they called 911 and I don't have any recollection of what happened after I passed out. And then the third time was when I just, I was talking like we are now and I passed out. Um, and it was because of one of my medications. I was on it too long. And one of the side effects was you could pass out or have seizures. And I ended up passing out. And thank God my father was upstairs. But it caused me to have three grand mal seizures. And God is awesome because my tutor was a ride along EMT. She was there. And if it was not for her, the doctor said I would have been, um, I wouldn't have made it. Um, the first grand mal seizure, she was there. She called my father. She knew what to do to keep me from hurting myself. And then when they got me in the driveway in the ambulance, I had the second grand mal seizure. And then as they were wheeling me into the emergency room, I had the third one. And at that point, they had declared me brain dead and told my parents that they had done all that they could do. But I remember hearing all of this and I was in a coma and it was at midnight that I woke up 
And in my hand was a business card. And it was from my spiritual father in the ministry, the Reverend Timothy Howard. And on the back he wrote, I was here, I will see you tomorrow. And I held on to that card the whole night. And it meant so much. Um, and the church family was praying. And when I woke up at midnight, doctors and nurses ran in and they were like, you shouldn't be here. We told your parents that by morning you'd be gone. And so it gave me an opportunity to read my Bible when I was in the hospital. It gave me an opportunity to strengthen my prayer life. And I believe I am who I am today because of those experiences. Very often people don't take seriously the spiritual life of children. What would you say to that? Don't ever underestimate a child. Reverend Howard saw something in me that my parents didn't even see. Um, Mr. Sneed saw it and he saw it, but you never know the impact that a child can have. And people look at me crazy when I say I've been preaching since six years old, but I have. I answered the call to ministry at the age uh, 2005 and preached my trial sermon November 27, 2005. But I never will forget an experience I had at Yale New Haven Hospital. And I believe now that was my first call because it was then that my roommate next door to me was in a tragic skiing accident in a coma and paralyzed. And I didn't understand it, but something led me to ask my father to have his mother come in my room because it was just something urging me. The doctors had just told her that her son would never wake up again. Long story short, um, I asked her if I could come in that evening and pray with them. And the devil, of course, was busy. I was in so much pain. To this day, I don't remember how I got in the room, but I remember forming a circle around his bedside that night and every night until I went home. And we exchanged phone numbers. I went home, and it was around midnight one night. My cell phone rang, and it was his mother screaming, saying, my son woke up, my son woke up. And then um, some weeks later, she said, my crazy son is out there back on his skis again. Wow. And I now realized that was my first calling. Um, and it was nothing I did. It was just that God used me as a vehicle. And from that day on, I never questioned God about why he allowed me to be born with sickle cell or why I had to go through so much pain because I realized that through my pain, I could be a blessing to someone else. We're talking with Reverend G. Wesley Delavan, the pastor of Parker Amy Zion Church in Meriden, Connecticut, and we'll be back after the break. Hallelujah!
Peekaboo, peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby, I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org signs, or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back. We're talking with Pastor G. Wesley Delavan. He's the pastor of Parker Amy Zine Church of Merritt in Connecticut. Now, in our first segment, we were talking a bit about your formation as a minister. Talk about your call to be a pastor. How did that happen? Well, I always knew that when God called me to the ministry, that he had a pastoral calling on my life. Um, as I said earlier, I was blessed to have some great mentors, um, and my spiritual father, the late Reverend Timothy Howard, was my father in the ministry. Um, but it goes back even further to the Hartford district of the Amy Zion Church, where I started serving as the marshal under the presiding elder Donald W.H.E. Ruffin, and I used to just watch and watch him administrate and think that was the coolest job to have being a presiding elder you sit in a chair and you give orders but then i soon found out it was more than that but um i would serve as his marshal and the one thing i would say is i was a unique child because i was like a sponge um i soaked up all that he had to pour into me, um, presiding Elder Howard, my one of my Baptist spiritual fathers in the ministry, the late Reverend Reuben E. Williams, the pastor of former pastor of Messiah Baptist Church, 
and he was the pastor for over 40 years. And when my mother joined Messiah in 2001, um, he took me under my his wing and poured into me. And then when he retired, the Reverend Dr. Tyrone P. Jones, the fourth, um, took me under his wings. And it was then that I actually, when he was going for his doctorate degree, he asked me if I would preach every Wednesday for him because they have a weekly noonday service on Wednesday at 12 noon to 1 p.m. And it was then that God was preparing me for my pastoral journey and today. And that got me in the practice of preparing a sermon every week and timing myself and knowing when to start. And sometimes it was frustrating because sometimes it wouldn't be until Tuesday night that the scripture would come. And I'd be like, okay, Lord, come on. Mm. Um, and then at that point, I realized and God was just ordering my steps. And the scripture is true. A man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And I just, I'm in awe sitting here today thinking about the men and women, um, yourself and Pastor Lydell Brown and so many others that poured into me. And... I wouldn't be the pastor that I am today. Um, and some of my training came outside of the Ami Zion Church. And so I'm thankful for Messiah Baptist Church where I really cut my teeth. And they listened to my sermons. Some of them probably were good. Some of them, I look back and I say, what was I thinking? Or they just said, he's nice though. Uh -huh. <laughs> they would always come up to me. You preached a wonderful sermon, and I'm saying to myself, yeah. But it was then, and now um, their pastor is the Reverend James B. Logan, and he afforded me and continues to afford me opportunities. Um, as I look back, I also work at a funeral home, and when I began and was in my formation working towards becoming a pastor, most of, I would say, 80% of the funerals that I did, there are three um, black-owned funeral homes in the city of Bridgeport where I reside, and they would all call me. And when they would call me, most of them were non-church people. And that was the hardest thing. Um, the first one I remember, I never will forget. It was tough because, number one, I didn't know the person. So how do you preach a eulogy for someone you don't know? And then the Lord said, the service is about the person. But at the time of the eulogy, it should be words of comfort to the family. And so I don't preach eulogies. I do words of comfort because, and my father in the ministry, the late Reverend Timothy Howard, he would always do all the reflections, acknowledgement, all of that prior to the service. And then when the service began, it was the order of service and words of comfort. 
And now I understand why he set it up, because the first part was about the person. Then the second part was about the God of that person. If they didn't go to church, then it was still about God, (laughs) and you were encouraging the family. So talk about your arrival at Parker Church in Meriden, Connecticut. You knew that you knew God. You knew that you were God's son. So what did you find when you stepped into that role as pastor of a church? It was a wonderful um, opportunity afforded to me by then our presiding prelate, the right Reverend Mildred B. Hines. And I was appointed to Parker in June 12th of 2016. I'm now entering my third year. And upon my arrival, I was interviewed by the Record Journal. And one of the things that I wanted to do was bridge the gap between the church and the community. Um, They used to have a more viable and visible role in the community. And something Reverend Brian Thompson said in that annual conference when he did the School of the Prophets, and I didn't know at that point that I was going to pastor, Um, he said, If your church doors was to close today, would the community even know or care? And I sat there and that struck my ear. And then that Sunday when Bishop Hines appointed me to Parker, I said that that would be one of the main questions that I would ask myself. And even now I reevaluate and the Lord has blessed me to now we are fostering relationships with the community. Um, just this morning, we hosted the Meriden Clergy Association meeting and trying to get a more visible role. One time they had a food pantry, and even to this day, people call and ask about it. And so I would like to restart that because there is a need. And what has been the most powerful lesson you've had so far in this role called pastor? The most powerful lesson, Dr. Best, is church hurt is the worst hurt. And if we don't deal with the church hurt and the toxic relationships that we have with one another, it's like a cancer that metastasizes and grows. And the one thing I found, not just at Parker, but in several churches that I've served in, is that we have to stop looking at one another and look at ourselves. Am I part of the problem or part of the solution? And oftentimes, we think we're a part of the solution when we're actually a part of the problem. And church hurt is the worst hurt had a conversation with someone just this morning about why our young people do not come to church. And one of the reasons is because they see grown-ups and adults acting like children and immature brats. And so they say, well, I can stay in the world and do that. And the unfortunate thing is they do. And that's why we have so much gun violence and drugs today. But we have to reclaim our place. There used to be a time when politicians and the city would come to the church. And before a politician would offer themselves as candidate, they would actually ask for 
the church's blessing or a pastor's blessing. And I believe that it's time for the church of the living God to stand up and to reclaim its place, put prayer back into the schools, and nobody can stop you from praying. That's right. We're talking with Pastor G. Wesley Delavan, pastor of Parker Amazon Church of Meriden, Connecticut, and we'll be back after the break. You have been listening to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches. In the small town of Elmira, New York, a boy was born into an all-American family. The odds of him opening his own clothing store at the age of 18? One in 138,000. Excited to be a part of pop culture, he packed for the big city. The odds of finding someone to invest in his vision? One in 4.5 million. The odds of him achieving his dream in the fashion industry? One in 23 million. The odds of having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I am Tommy Hilfiger, and my family is affected by autism. I encourage you to learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. I'm going to clap your hands. Listen. It's your season to be blessed. God made you a promise. You stood the test He's gonna open the windows And pour you out a blessing It's your season To be blessed Come on, it's your season, say It's your season To be blessed God made you a promise And you stood Come on, windows of heaven in the field I'm blessed going out I'm blessed coming in He's gonna open the windows and pour you out a blessing It's your season Oh God to be blessed Come on It's your season say It's your season To be blessed To be blessed God made you promise God made you Yes, it is to be blessed. Come on, say it again, say. 
the crossroad in my life Standing there just wondering Which way, which way should I turn Seems like every time I turn to my right side I find trouble, confusion, misunderstanding is already on my right side. And then I turn to my left side, find out somebody's sick, somebody's in the hospital, somebody's done passed and gone on and yeah. See healed, healed, and more healed, and more healed, and more healed, and more healed, healed, that are already waiting on me, make me feel like I want to just fold my But then when I began to take inventory over my life, turn around and look back, and I see all the hills, I see all the mountains, I see all the valleys. Thirty thousand square feet. What would you do with that kind of possibility? Would you strategize your future or get lost in the past? Will you fill it with stories or use it to empty your mind? Would you explore your spirituality? or focus on improving your community? Will you use it to work late? Or just work it? Could you create lasting impressions? Or a brief delicious one? Our vision for the 224? 30,000 square feet of endless possibilities. Welcome back. We're talking with Reverend G. Wesley Delavan, the pastor of Parker Amy Zine Church of Meriden, Connecticut, a historic church with a big heart. And so in our last segment, we were talking about your church and its formation and the role in the community. What's your vision for the future at Parker? Well, my vision for the future um, is number one in June to be reappointed as pastor um, and when that happens we will be in our 140th year and so we want to have a huge celebration to celebrate 
what God has done in and through the life of the members of Park Memorial Amy Zion Church. But my vision for the future is to be more visible in the community. We're right across the street from a middle school um, and foster relationships with the neighbors around the church and to establish either a youth center or food pantry where we can be a blessing to those in need. And that's really a powerful vision, especially when you look at being across from the middle school. It's a beautiful school in Meriden. Talk about the community of Meriden and how you look at ministry in that context. The community in Meriden has a lot of potential. Um, and unfortunately, as in anything, um, there's division. And so this morning as we met the Meriden Clergy Association, we were trying to talk about how to bridge that gap between the church and the community and to address in our local churches and in the communities in which our churches are in the epidemics of guns, violence, youth and young adults not coming to church, and also to be a judgment-free zone. Mm. Um, Bishop Hines, she made a statement that has always stuck with me, and she said the church is a sanctuary and a safe place, a place where people can flee from the wrath of the world and come and be free. But how can they be free if the church is bound? And so part of my vision for next year is to help our congregation be spiritually, emotionally, and physically free. Um, we're doing a Bible study now on Hebrews, the 12th chapter, living an abundant life in Christ. And in that, talking about God is not just talking about having an abundant life in heaven, but he wants, as he says in scripture, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's talking about while you're down here, he wants you to live a prosperous, victorious, and a successful Christian life. And I have actually stopped calling the members of the church members and started calling them disciples because that's what we are. We're disciples of Christ, which means we're followers of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And when you think about how God has discipled you through the help and the pouring in of so many people of faith and formed you to be a pastor. Who are you as a pastor? If someone were to say, what kind of pastor is he? Who does he appeal to? What's your niche as a pastor? I've always had a pull to seniors. Um, but the one thing that God has done in my three years at Parker is to show me that I have to be well-rounded and be able to reach children, youth, young adults, and the seniors. And so what I've been trying to do is, if I don't have that gift, find someone in the community or in the church um, or one of my colleagues in the ministry 
and bring them in so that Parker can be a holistic church where we meet the needs of everyone. And so if someone were listening this morning and they're thinking about checking out a church, what might they find at Parker? Um, one, to coin your term, radical hospitality. Um, they would find that we're a very caring and loving church and that we love to give God praise and worship. Um, it's all about God. And in the invocation, every Sunday I remind my congregation that it's not, we're not invoking his presence in the sanctuary because his presence resides in us through his Holy Spirit. And prayerfully, we've already read scripture or prayed, and we are primed before we get to the sanctuary. So then all we have to do at the point of prayer of invocation is to actually ask God's blessings, favor, and anointing upon our worship. And when do you have worship? Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., and we have Sunday school at 9.30 a.m. And if people want to find out more about Parker Amy Zion Church, how do they find out more? You can call the church office. We're in the process of getting a website. Um, or they can call me. And what's your phone number? 203-331-6878. Pastor G. Wesley Delavan, we thank you for your service at Parker Amy Zion Church in Meriden, Connecticut. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. One day when heaven was filled with his praises One day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin Dwelt among men, my example is he The word became flesh and the light shined among us Glory revealed, living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away, rising He justified freely forever. One day He's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. Yeah.
You have been listening to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches and a production of the 224 Ecospace. Reach out to us and tell us what you think. Look for Rich Answers, the Conference of Churches, and me, Reverend Dr. Shelley Bess, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like us, follow us, share us.